Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Maximizing Outcomes with Biologics, Gaining Control Over Uncontrolled Moderate to Severe Asthma in Children. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Sanofi and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. So welcome to this answer in CME program. My name is Matteo Bonini. I'm a professor in respiratory medicine, and I'm the head of the obstructive lung disease unit at the Catholic University of the Sacred Heart in Rome, Italy. This program is aimed at identifying pediatric patients with asthma who may benefit from biological therapy. So now let's start with how to properly identify patients that may benefit from treatment intensification. Asthma is definitely a burden in childhood and adolescence and a leading chronic cause of illnesses. The diagnosis of asthma is a composite diagnosis relying on clinical and functional endpoints. Most common symptoms are chest tightness, cough, which is often dry, and wheezing. And these symptoms need to be related to the evidence of an obstructive deficit, meaning a reduced FEV1 on FEC with a reduced FEV1. Different phenotypes have been defined in asthma. For example, exercise-induced asthma or asthma during pregnancy. While only two endotypes have been defined, the first one is the T2I endotype, and this is characterized by increased eosinophil counts, either in serum or in sputum, increased fraction exhale nitric oxide, increased IgE, both total and specific, and a more thickened bronchial mucosa. The non-T2I endotype doesn't rely on proper hallmarks, but actually it is just defined by the absence of a T2I signature. When defining asthma, it's also important to define the degree of control. And we know that uncontrolled asthma is the one characterized by poor symptom control, frequent severe exacerbations, especially if they are serious, and persistent high flow limitation despite appropriate therapy. So both the GINA guidelines and the ERS-RTS guidelines gave us detailed definitions and there are some very slight differences. So according to GINA, severe asthma is that asthma that remains uncontrolled despite optimized treatment with high-dose ICS-LABA, while for the ERS-ATS, severe asthma is the one requiring treatment with high-dose ICS plus a second controller or systemic corticosteroids to prevent it from becoming uncontrolled. For both of them, severe asthma is also considered the one remaining uncontrolled despite optimal therapy. So patients with uncontrolled asthma, those being either on high-dose ICS-LABA or ICS plus a second controller, are classified by GINA guidelines in step 4 and 5. And these actually are the population we want to talk about a little bit more in depth because for these patients, we have precision medicine approaches and we can realize on personalized treatments, including biological therapy. So let's now discuss the biological therapies available for children with asthma controlled when they are on their existing regimen. We have at the moment five different options. They entered the market at different times. The first one was omalizumab in 2005 in Europe. Mepolizumab followed in 2015. Vernalizumab entered in the 18 in Europe. 
More recently, dupilumab was approved in Europe in 2019, and very, very recently, tezepelumab entered the market, as you can see, in the last two years. Interestingly, all of them were firstly approved for the population of children aged higher than 12, and then they were approved for those aged over six years old. We were mentioning the five strategies that we have at the moment, which are the indications for using them. So these are listed and summarized in the table. So efficacy of this drug is very reliable, very good. Efficacy has been tested essentially by having as a primary endpoint the number of exacerbation and the sparing effect on systemic steroids. And this has been proven to be statistically significant for all of them. Different endpoints have been also assessed. In particular, lung function has been evaluated, but also quality of life and other endpoints have been assessed. Overall, without entering too much into details that you can retrieve from the table, we can easily say that all of them are very effective in the pediatric population. So we now have a look at the efficacy of the biological drugs available on the market, but let's move now to have a look at the safety considerations. So as we mentioned before, we have five different strategies and all of them are administered subcutaneously. For mepolizumab, dupilumab, and bernalizumab, very interestingly, recently, we had the option to benefit of the administration through a pen. And this makes life of patients much easier because the self-administration is much more comfortable. Some side effects have been related to the use of the drugs, but honestly, no major ones have been reported frequently related to either omalizumab or mepolizumab, minor side effects that sometimes are reported are local, like pain in the side of injection, back pain or abdominal pain. But usually all these pharmacological options showed over time a very reliable and safe profile. Regarding to pilumab, eosinophilia has been related to the use of the drug despite not being clinically relevant. There are some minor side effects related to the use of bernalizumab, namely headache or pharyngitis. And anaphylactic reactions have been also reported of heterogeneous severity, despite, as I was mentioning before, these reactions need to be considered extremely rare. Tezepelumab has been related to the onset of pharyngitis, arthralgia, and back pain. But overall, the safe profile of all these biological approaches is very well supported by scientific evidence. There are also some data showing some hypersensitivity reactions related to omalizumab, mepolizumab, and dupilumab. Probably the most important one is anaphylactic reactions that have been in very, very rare cases related to omalizumab. Dupilumab has been also associated to a potential increased risk of parasitic infections. And a transient eosinophilia related to the use of the drug have been evidenced despite not being clinically relevant. In order to place the optimal choice, we need to consider eligibility to those strategies. So for the anti-IG monoclonal antibody, omalizumab, it is important that the patient shows a positive skin prick test or increased specific IG 
in blood, and also total serum IgE needs to be raised. The presence of increased blood eosinophilia, increased pheno, definitely are elements that support more probable positive response to the drug. Let's move now to the anti-eosinophilic options, so namely the anti-IL-5 menfolizumab and the anti-IL-5 receptor benalizumab. Both of them can be administered in presence of raised peripheral eosinophilia. And in particular, mepolizumab can be prescribed when eosinophilia is higher than 150, while bernalizumab can be prescribed when eosinophilia is higher than 300. The higher the peripheral blood eosinophilia is and more frequent are the exacerbations over the previous years, even here that the higher is the chance to get a significant positive effect of the drug. For dupilumab, the anti-IL-4 receptor option is important to detect exacerbations over the last year. Eosinophilia needs to be within 150 and 1,500. Pheno over 20 parts per billion is also something crucial to be proven when assessing eligibility, like the fact that the patient is undergoing treatment with systemic steroid. Even here, higher blood eosinophils and higher pheno represent positive predictive markers of good response. The last one is the telecepelumab, the anti-TLSP solution and by confirming the fact that these patients need to be affected by severe asthma. As you can see here, the only eligibility criterion listed is the history of exacerbations over the last year. There are no endotype-driven parameters because it has been proven that the drug is both effectively in the T2I and on the T2I endotype. I was mentioning before that another element very key for placing the optimal choice is the presence of comorbidities. And this because these drugs are not only approved for asthma, but they have different indications. Like for nasal polyps, we know that chronic rhinosinusitis with or without nasal polyps is a very frequent comorbidity in severe asthma. Now, once a child is on the biological therapy, Maintaining adherence for inhaled therapy and managing properly comorbidities is definitely essential. Adherence in asthmatic subjects, especially in children, is not that good. On top of that, it is also important to comment on the inhaler technique. So now we have on the market a broad variety of inhalers, being these dry powder inhalers or pressurized meter dose inhalers or soft mist inhalers. It is very important to prescribe the best device for each subject and to always guarantee and have confirmation that the device is appropriately taken. The COVID pandemia has definitely further prompted the use of electronic health and telemedicine. This represented more and more a useful tool for dealing with patients from remote and relying on electronic approaches like telemonitoring or smart inhalers or mobile apps that can provide reminders to patients has been proven in literature that increased involvement of patients in the management of their diseases. We know that the more the patient is involved, the higher is the chance to have a positive effect of the drug and also improve the adherence. Importantly, adherence is very linked to the degree of control of the disease. A last mention to the chance that we have now with the 
option of having five strategies in the market to switch from one biological drug to another. So once the first decision has been made in the lack of a response after a period that can range from four to 12 months, can take into consideration to replace our choice and change it in order to try to obtain improvements in patients. In conclusion, asthma is definitely a burden in the pediatric population, both for the costs that represent and impact on the quality of life. Now that the biological drugs enter the market, we have five different strategies. All of them overall have been proven to be effective and dramatically positively changed the management of the disease. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.